Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. So, in everyone's life, there comes a day, a moment in time, where the margin or the line between divinity and mortality not only becomes obvious and clear, but even so, should somewhat thin. Uh, maybe make some sense on the surface to this extent. Whether there is such a thing as divinity, high aspirations <laughs> don't always measure up with reality. And I don't know that reality is always tied to mortality, but it does seem quite connected the more we screw up, the more self-defeating we appear to become. So I've got this friend who was looking pretty sad, down. We're close friends, uh, more than just acquaintances. Known each other for years. Have always had a good relationship. Uh, hang out together. I've even revealed some of my own uh, concerns about things such as mortality and failure and screw-ups in my life. So this is certainly a significant other relationship deserving of that status. So when he's looking down, it's pretty common for me to say, well, what's going on? You look kind of sad. And as much as I've shared all those things with him, as you might have already gotten, it's implied that he has that same level of candor and openness and intimacy with me about his stuff. I thought nothing of asking him. After all, we're friends. <laughs> but his um, rebuke was pretty clear. He was not seeing me so much in either a friend mode that day or if a friend mode he wasn't prepared to talk about what was bothering him or worse yet, he perceived that to be a bit too intrusive and he himself lost sight of the line between divinity and mortality. Uh, Maybe not so much with himself, because obviously, if you're feeling that down, you've got a struggle going on somewhere. It's maybe not immediately life or death, but it seems to have some aspect of that or in dimension, something of that importance. But I think he lost it when he was looking at me, because <laughs> he no longer was seeing me as the friend. He began to see me as the psychological counselor. I am a human being. <laughs> I am a man. I'm not just a psychological counselor. And though you may argue that's really not your definition of divinity, it is highest aspiration, or at least of some higher order of aspiration. A lot of people see psychologists, psychological counselors at that level. You know, we don't have stuff. We don't screw up. We don't make mistakes. We don't have relationship problems. We don't have issues. 
but that's only in the mind's eye. And their eye, and uh, I'm glad to say, not my eye, because I know, I know me. But if it should become a conflict of interest in some way, shape, or form, the line becomes too thin between, in this case, me being a friend and my otherwise professional aspiration, practice even, uh, I'm going to be disclosing. Wait a minute, I'm human. <laughs> You're putting me in probably a place you shouldn't put me in. And generally speaking, that's not always uh, complimentary. People don't do that always because they're admiring. Oftentimes they do that because they're feeling just the opposite. They have great disdain because they're afraid I'm going to come along and present something, say something, uh, offer up an observation, uh, <laughs> a thought, a notion that they're not ready to hear, that they might kind of have to accept, um, see objectively, or even see it objectively, and they're not ready for that. There's nothing wrong with subjectivity, <laughs> just as long as you know how to bring it into reconciliation with what is objective, so you can arrive at truth, at least enough so that you can be adaptive. And what is truth? It's not just an opinion, it's what works. Adaptability, being adaptive, means it works. And what is the greatest measure of it working? It brings life. And not only life, that could be very rudimentary, sort of crude measure of adaptability. Does it kill you? Uh, how quickly does it kill you might also be part of that analysis. But I'd like to add the piece of equality of life. Something better, something happier, uh, something more joyful, something purposeful, something with meaning, good intention maybe. Again, divinity, aspirational, unless we all fall into the trap of being mere mortals. <laughs> so, psychology today, I do believe it is still, let me look to be sure. The June 2022 edition. I found an article that I wanted to share with you. It was written by a gentleman by the name of Stephen C. Hayes, Ph.D., who, by the way, is the originator of acceptance and commitment therapy and the author of A Liberated Mind, How to Pivot Toward What Matters. The name of the article, however, in Psychology Today is to heal is to feel. Use pain as a quick or as a guide to what matters and what can move you forward. Not necessarily quick. Negative events are a fact of life because they register powerfully. <clears throat> they have an uncanny ability, uncanny ability to overtake our mental machinery. My career as a psychologist has been devoted to understanding the ways that facing pain without knowing how to feel leads people to logical, reasonable, and pathological practices that our judgmental minds readily recommend, but that keep us stuck in the past. I learned some things the way everyone else does. 
My dad was an exploder who used alcohol to keep, to keep the lid on, which only made the inevitable explosions more violent and frightening. In early elementary school, I vividly remember watching my dad ripping the screening of the screeching pink and cream two-tone Plymouth Station wagon out of our driveway in an angry rage and seeing my brother tumble out of the opened tailgate onto the street. I was scared, horrified, but that wasn't sad. I would not have known how. Dominant as they were in our house, emotions were barely mentioned at all. My mom was an emotional suppressor whose very pores oozed a sense of dark dread. Even at age eight, I knew it was not rational to talk constantly of germs and to wash your hands until they bled. That made sense only recently when I learned from a relative that my grandmother had committed suicide and my mom unfairly took the blame. She could not help me then with frightening feelings. She was desperately staying away from her own. I knew that my parents loved me, but in a home wet with anger and dark secrets, I also learned that emotions were dangerous. No wonder I had my first panic attack two decades later as a young academic watching a group of professors fight in a way only wild animals and full professors are capable of. Years of emotional rage and neglect had taught my nervous system that emotions were dangerous. But what does one then do with pain? In my long career as a psychologist studying human nature and the causes of human suffering, I have been struck by the ways people inadvertently impede their own healing. Here are 10 suggestions for alleviating the pain of trauma past. Don't deny your pain. When you cut yourself, your body will try to heal. Whether you acknowledge your body or not, psychological wounds are different. You cannot begin psychological healing until you acknowledge and describe your pain. Because self-invalidation cuts even deeper. Life will not give you a pass just because you were taught and internalized boys don't cry or wear your big girl pants. You can heal only if you feel and learning how starts with acknowledgement. Show up. When you're hurting, you may want to curl up in a blanket on your couch. Although that's great for a Sunday afternoon, it's not a way to live your life. While you close yourself off from the world, life continues without you. When you excessively avoid what is painful, you also avoid what is rich and meaningful. Observe your emotions. Eyes closed, jaws clenched. Powering through can itself be further traumatizing. If you do, even if you do what is important, you still reinforce that it's unsafe or you wouldn't resist it. Instead, slow down and breathe. Carefully notice your body. Observe and describe more like watching a sunset or listening to a crying child than doing a math problem. 
Give your emotions a name. Let your mind and body know that it's safe for you to see what hasn't been seen, to feel what hasn't been felt, and to voice what hasn't been said. Move towards yourself, not away from pain. Distraction is a two-edged sword. The problem is not the traction, it's the dis that states. It's not okay for me or okay to be me. Stop dissing yourself. Find the traction to move forward. Take that hot bath or listen to that cool music because you love it and deserve self-care. Don't do it as a diss. Let pain be a guide. Your mind may suggest that you wallow in pain forever for specialness or to prove how unfair it all is. Don't take the bait. Pain is not a badge of honor. It's how we learn what's important and what needs care and attention. Use pain as a goad and guide. Let it help you get unstuck, then work to correct what is unfair. Don't cling to feeling good. When we feel good, we may want it to last forever. The instant we cling to these feelings, they begin to fade. Like a bird sitting on your shoulder, the moment you try to grab it, it flies away. Enjoy good feelings while they last, but let them go in their own time. Fixed emotions cannot teach. Show yourself some kindness and compassion. Minds can be unkind. Seeing the struggle, you start asking, what is wrong with me? Why is this so hard? You invite yourself into a spiral of judgment and self-blame. When you're feeling down, don't add more weight. Extend yourself a helping hand. Show yourself kindness when you feel as though you least deserve it. Take the time it takes to heal. You did what all the articles have told you, but you are still hooked. Don't rush along. The goal is to gradually learn to let emotions play the proper role in your life. Healing means whole, and learning to be whole cannot be rushed. It needs time and patience. Dare to give that to yourself. Find purpose. We are willing to take on pain if it's safe and has a real purpose. In the gym, you exercise safely but vigorously, knowing muscles ache or muscle aches are part of creating strength and flexibility. Same here. Follow the steps above, and your body and unconscious programming will get the safety message. But the purpose, that's up to you. To heal yourself, heal, or to help yourself heal, it is crucial that you see, choose, and embrace your purpose. Without purpose, pain is a meaningless struggle. And finally, reach out. Children of emotional neglect believe they need to heal on their own. 
The nonsense of don't burden others deprives us of the comfort of friends and the exchange of wise guidance. We are the social primates meant to travel together, whether it be your family, friends, a therapist, or even an online group. Dare to reach out for support and use what you learn to help and support others. Pain often comes from outside, unbidden. Neglectful mistakes are learned things we do, but that means they can be changed. The work comes from within. Acknowledge your pain, recognize your mind's needless defenses, and learn how to use feelings to foster a free life full of purpose, love, and meaning. Done in the right way, feeling is healing. Again, the article is written by Stephen C. Hayes, Ph.D. It's in the June 2022 edition of Psychology Today. And the name of the article is, To Heal is to Feel. Use pain as a guide to what matters and to what can move you forward. And by the way, Stephen C. Hayes, again, is Ph.D., a doctorate of psychology. So knowing where that thin margin, sometimes blurring because it is so thin between divinity and mortality, where that lies is important because it's probably where we live. Uh, we all want to do it well. We all want to do it right. We all want to do it with meaning and purpose. We all want to do it adaptively. Hopefully we do. Not only quantity of life, but quality of life. But there's so many things along the way that we don't know, we can't know, developmentally speaking, are incapable, requires us to get to a certain developmental milestone or point in our life. Chronologically, time does not either teach us or is not our teacher, nor is it our comforter. But it's within time, the dimension of time, chronologically, we can acquire. We can take the time. Not only to learn, but to find the comfort. But what we can't do is we can't get frustrated with ourselves when at any one particular moment, something comes along and throws us <laughs> into the depths of not only our humanity, but with that, it feels like it is going to kill us. It feels like maybe in a sequencing sort of way or a series of events sort of way, maybe it's piling on us. <laughs> maybe it is such the anomaly, at least in our minds. It breaks all the standards and rules of proper ethical conduct. <laughs> this is not how it's supposed to be. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Show genuine positive regard to others. Practice at least minimally so reciprocity, if not unconditional love. Those are good rules to live life by. But not everybody is there, again speaking developmentally or in chronological terms, and then not everybody is there because there's always something happening that takes us away from the ideal and drives us smack dab into... A moment, maybe extended moment, of selfishness. 
That's just subjective. You got feelings. I got feelings. My friend has feelings. He's feeling pretty sad. His messaging to me about boundaries was, I'm not ready yet for the light to shine in. I'm still in my wounded sort of phase. I'm still in the earliest stages of accepting this thing or these things that are happening to me. I'm still, still feeling somewhat not only threatened, but defensive, attacked. I'm angry. I'm afraid. And nothing you're going to say right now is going to take me out of that. Does that mean it's not worth saying? No, it's worth saying. Does that mean the person is, uh, has resorted to or has defaulted to total irrationality, lack of logic, reasoning? No, it just means the moment they're in, within, again, chronology, time, developmentally, progressively, I'm going to say the stages of grief, even, learning, those stages all look the same. Starts with a demand, pretty threatening, we have to accept it, we have feelings, we feel attacked, we feel threatened in maybe such a way that we have a fight or flight, some amount or measure of emotional thinking before the logic and the reasoning returns to us. But it always returns to us because it's innately there. Except that we wouldn't want to face it. Except that we wouldn't want to feel it. Except that we would want to continue to avoid it. To stay in denial. And I think basically that's what this article is suggesting. Now again, my friend is my friend. And it's a good friendship. And it's been again over time. Within time we've grown together. It's not going to end. I didn't take offense with what he said. But I did realize it. It wasn't personal. He just wasn't there. But I'm sure there's been plenty of times in my humanity, my brokenness, I've come to him and done pretty much the same thing. I'm not ready yet. Just leave me alone. I, I, I want to be under the blanket on a Sunday afternoon. I want to go in my cave. I just want to curl up in a little ball somewhere. Go to the corner. Just shut out the world. That's okay. That is extreme, potentially, possibly, subjectivity. It's all about me. It's just like returning to childhood. But you're not going to live there, except you would choose to live there. The article provides 10, I don't know, there's steps, but tenets, that's what I'll call them that kind of coincide with good empirical thinking, the model, research, hypothetical deductive reasoning. But good empiricism is also good grieving. It's also good learning because there are stages involved. If you're not able to appreciate that with some degree of objectivity, and again, don't ever fail to state the obvious, you just don't have to impose it upon somebody who's not in a place to receive it. But I do think it needs to be said. <laughs> You'll get through this. Not casually, not without consideration. But they need to remember that. And understand that the ten tenets, as much as they might parallel or might be in some, way, some ways synced or synchronized with good empiricism, 
And empiricism, experiential. That's really what that is, learning. We just formalize it into the scientific methodology and research. It's almost like an icon. You could say, follow the science. That's what we sort of say these days. I'm sure you've heard that. But that's really what that means, is it's okay to be subjective. It's okay to ask the subjective questions and just bring it against the context of reality or the objective. Now, I could be that objectivity as your psychological counselor, but I wasn't going to be my friend's psychologist or psychological counselor because that's not my role. My role with him is friend. But there is a certain degree of integrity because I do practice what I preach. But it's not unethical because I don't approach it in some transactional sort of way. I'm one with him. And I work on being one with myself. There's a certain degree of integrity. I, again, practice what it is that I teach or preach in this sort of way. But I think the tenets of the article suggest it's in you to be a scientist. <laughs> Maybe it's in you then, because I do believe scientists, psychologists, psychological counselors are scientists. Our degree is in science. It's in humanities. But we have the elements of science that are equally important. But this idea, though, is we practice science. It's a great study. It's a great research project when people come in. I take it seriously. I don't mistreat or take advantage of that to the mistreatment of a patient because for my own, I don't know, enjoyment. <laughs> Although I do enjoy it. Would you not want me to? Uh, I don't think you'd want to come see somebody who is so themselves embittered or so still caught up in something that suggests they've not matured, developed, gone past traumas, incidences, things that have happened that come along. You don't want to like <laughs> that working with you because... I would then be too subjective and though you're counting on me to be objective and you might take everything that falls out of my mouth in that sort of way of objectivity and even though you may again want to see me in some sort of divine manner or fashion in that particular, I guess, from that particular perspective in that particular scenario you want me to at least understand the highest of aspirations I'm called to and practice standards I'm called to so that you get the best. You don't want to think you're getting the best only to find out later on that I'm no better than you are. But I'm only better than you are because it's my job. I get this wonderful blessing of with integrity applying what I, practicing what I preach, not only in a personal dimension, but professionally, I live with it every day. My mind is turned toward it all the time, except when I'm being your friend. And I'm no longer your psych. I'm no longer just the psychologist. Or if I have that, you can't separate that. Or the psychological counselor. You can't really fully separate that from me because that would create then some degree of lack of integrity or dissonance that allows them maybe for me to treat you like an object you know that for my somehow gratification which is implicitly I think the basis of all ethics don't do that you're exploiting another person who's in great need we don't do that but I think the tenets of this article suggest you can do that within yourself. Do you need somebody else occasionally 
to run it by, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's admirable and probably in some ways even most adaptive to seek wisdom, whether it's books or articles or therapists or, or again, friends, somebody who is wise, maybe somebody who's gone through it before you and you believe has successfully adapted in the best way possible for them. But again, that's only them. You have to accept that. It may not be exactly for you, but they seem to at least understand how to get there, the journey, what it looks like. But if you can incorporate or appreciate even that these ten tenets are really already implicitly within you, you don't have to memorize them. You just have to trust in them. They'll remind you of what's in you. But this is the highest order of human thinking, science, and empiricism. And it is applied with integrity to everything. And if it's not, then whatever you fail to apply it to, as with the article speaking of distraction, is dismissive. It's invalidating of the truth. Where does the truth come from? It can come from any of these sources. But because it is so much so the way reality is, because it is so much so not only implicitly inside of us, but reality is somewhere out there. You can't escape it. You're going to constantly get feedback. That's the beauty of it. The world is by nature made up of a lot of subjective, unique, individual differences, but cumulatively so, it's the same resounding message. Whatever it is, you have to adjust to it. Whatever it is that comes your way, true adaptability is making the proper adjustments. Which means don't throw out, as with precedent, anything that's worked in the past... You don't override science simply because it rains on July the 4th and it's never rained on July the 4th before and this must mean that reality is... No, you take it within context. You do it again and again, hopefully, on such things as that. It may take a while to get back to 364 days to get back to July 4th again, but you can test it. Always test it. Nothing wrong with testing it. But always trust it too. It will produce a good result if you approach it this way. The only hiccup would be if you're in such subjective kind of emotions or place that you can't see it. And with that, that you don't want to. You want to run from it again, hide from it. You've got to be open. Again, you've got to feel the feelings. You've got to go through the experience because it's all empiricism. You can get to the highest order of truth empirically, which is great. Do it. Practice it. Some things are so novel, unique, different, may not ever happen to you again, may never happen again. See, I have to apply the empirical model this research model, this paradigm, way of thinking, science, the scientific model, hypothetical, deductive reasoning, to every situation, at least at some, marginally, in some manner or way. But learn from others. <laughs> There's a lot of truths out there that you don't have to go do it yourself to learn it. Trial and error is efficient, but 
when it's amassed and put in a book or when you go to somebody who's either learned it themselves already or maybe generationally it's been encoded or codified as they say don't go looking to overturn it test it first then overturn it but if you just blow it up you're going to start over just the way it works Whatever you destroy today needs to be reconstructed tomorrow if it is that important. So don't go casually (laughs) blowing things up, destroying things, or avoiding situations simply for the immediate gratification of, I just don't have the energy to deal with it today. Now, in some ways, accountability does seem to work better when you have a partner. I think grief In that same manner, maybe for these very same reasons, it's better to grieve in couples. You can have more than two, but to take that to somebody else who's going to hold you accountable, who's not going to be in your subjectivity, hopefully if they're really there to help you, they'll understand their own and selectively so, discriminately so, factor it out to the best of their abilities so as to not contaminate what what they're offering you. If it's a mirror, so to speak, they want to be with as much clarity as possible, the best reflection so that you can see it of what's going on with you. Or if they offer advice, let it be based on evidence, research, prior study. (laughs) Because again, going back to what I was saying earlier in the podcast, you don't want somebody who isn't going to be objective. And you maybe need that. But ultimately, superior sort of way, it's up to you. You have to make an implicit choice either to face it or not. To live or not. It may not imminently, immediately kill you. It may not end your life. But certainly it's going to compromise the quality of your life. And progressively, over a period of time, it probably will shorten it. I don't want that for you unless you have some suicide wish or self-destructive wish. And I don't say that casually. I think somewhere inside of all of us is is the inclination to blow it all up or to try to escape it. And suicide being the ultimate escape. Not everybody is suicidal. Not everybody who talks about suicide or wishing they weren't here is going to kill themselves. It's not casual conversation or be treated in conversation in some casual dimension. Take every discussion seriously. But I think it's in everybody. If you extend that thought of denial, nihilism, it's all self-destruction. It's just how you go about doing it. I don't want you to harm yourself. I don't want you to kill yourself. That's one of the, if not the, (laughs) premier, primo imperatives of what I do or why I do what I do. If you're not able to think for yourself in the moment or moments that you're in presently, and in the moment or moments that you're in presently, your subjectivity leads you to the conclusion it is better to give up, to retreat, to avoid... Or ultimately you get to the place when kind of mixed with anger, enough fight or flight mixed with anger, agitation, to actually think you could turn some harm on yourself. My job is to say, no, 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 don't do that. We've got to stop you because this isn't going to last forever. 
Even that statement isn't a casual one, but it's a truthful one. It doesn't last forever. Whatever the situation, circumstance is, it's just that. Situational, circumstantial, incidental. Might be coincidental, but it's not certainly that your whole life is going to be a screw-up. We need to continue to aspire to the divine. We need to know how to bring about that reconciliation or us into reconciliation with those two points, those two paradigms. So maybe the truth of it is that the margin isn't supposed to be too wide. Maybe at times you'll even enjoy having no margin. Maybe you'll be walking in both, your mortality as well as your divinity, and not feel at all compromised. But it's maybe like being hungry, eating, and the moment you eat and feel full, you start to get hungry again. Maybe it's only a transitional sort of state, a temporary state of satiation, at least in a biochemical or bodily sort of dimension. But in an aspirational sort of way, a psychological sort of way, the way you think as you would deal with all of this does allow you to backfill a bit with not only Faith, courage, but what courage supplies, which is hope. <laughs> Even if it looks pretty bleak right now, or that this isn't going to work out, I know it will, but you reinforce yourself. In that way, you are your own psychotherapist. I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> I offer assistance when needed, but only as needed, strategically so. But shouldn't that also be the ideal? That you would be able to practice what you preach. That you would feel like your life has some degree of integrity. That it wouldn't be a matter of pretending like you're living when you're really doing nothing but dying. Or saying you want to live, but everything that you're doing is shouting out just the opposite. Hopefully my friend will come back around one day and share with me a bit about what's going on. This was a fairly recent encounter, conversation, recent in context to this podcast today. So I really don't know yet what's going on, but I am pretty confident. Not only will he get past it, but that probably at some point I'll become part of that feedback. And with that, I won't come at him just as with an ideal uh, just as being a psychological counselor, I'll come at him or come to him or go through it with him as a friend. <laughs> but whether you're talking about being your own psychologist or psychological counselor, be your own friend. At least accept yourself where you are. And it's okay to be subjective. Just as long as we know we need to bring that into reconciliation with the truth. To be objective. Or at least to find the proper balance between those two. You're in this world, but you don't have to necessarily be of it, but you have to be enough of this world to be in this world. You can't be separated, because the moment you start to separate, it's the moment that you start to have, unfortunately, too much of an opportunity to have or allow all your thoughts and intentions to drift toward the end. Or with that, maybe so much, to lose sight of the true meaning and purpose of life. Life is to be lived. It's not to wait until you die or be so concerned about dying that you can't live. I didn't do it earlier, but I want to do it certainly now at the end of the podcast. Remind, 
you. You're listening to Word with Dave Clay. And today's article, taken out of Psychology Today, June 2022, to heal is to feel. Use pain as a guide to what matters and to what can move you forward by Stephen C. Hayes, Ph.D. How could you not agree with that? And to the extent that I agree with that and have and do definitely enjoy sharing this with you on a regular basis, I would like to invite you back to the next podcast where we'll still (laughs) mine the annals of psychology today (laughs) for interesting articles and launching points to hopefully such spirited discussions. In the meantime, (laughs) as always, I want to wish you both good health as well as mental health.